0: Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode two. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode IET. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Let's get started. So today we're going to be discussing the episode IET, And I wrote up a quick summary so that we make sure we're all on the same page. After escaping Crace using the Farscape Maneuver, a peacekeeper beacon goes off, broadcasting their location to all the peacekeepers in the system. The crew decides to land on a planet for the dual purpose of muffling the beacon and to find an anesthetic so that they can safely remove the beacon. John becomes E.T. to an Earth-like society that hasn't yet made first contact. Shenanigans ensue. Shenanigans always ensue. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that the part of this episode that the title refers to, obviously, is John essentially becoming E.T., becoming first contact for this small family, this wa- this woman and her son. And their relationship through the episode, it kind of comes full circle. It's interesting to me because... It starts when he first makes contact with her because he needs, she has an anesthetic that he needs so that they can cut the beacon out of Moya.
1: Yeah, which turns out to be a very common element. She calls it what? Oh, I don't Unlocks know. Unlocks or something like yeah. that, but it's like salt, you know. It's something very common on their planet that has no no real value. They they put it in their food, and so it's this dichotomy of what this thing is, is important for them but at the same time, it's just this really common, common thing that is basically ends up turning over turning their lives over to a certain extent.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things is this is the first moment. First of all, that we've seen John interact with other aliens without the rest of the Farscape crew around. Because he and Dargo and Aaron have had to separate because Dargo and Aaron are drawing off the you know, E.T. hunters, the locals with firearms, and John has gone off to try and find this material, the onlux, um, which I think it's essentially it is salt, though, because they think they call it like chlorium or something, <laughs> which is an isotope of twinium. <laughs> <laughs> I love their names. And so they, he meets this woman, and his first in- interaction with her is so typical of John because essentially he doesn't come in and barging and like demand it. If it had been Aaron, she would have just taken it. If it had been Dargo, he probably would have like taken it and threatened them. And instead John takes this moment to just uh, manipulate the situation. He just, uh, I've got a quote and I love it because it's so John. He stumbled on her by accident and he wants her to be on his side. So this is what he but said. But wait, before you play the quote, just yeah. one
1: thing. So this is, he, he stumbled on her by and is near where Loya landed. But she happens to be basically Jodie Foster's character from Contact. The one with the big giant radio dish in her backyard. who has been trying to find alien life for her entire life. So cosmic coincidence I don't know.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of cosmic coincidence around John. Okay, I'm gonna play the quote.
1: Get in the wheeler now! Outside! Now!
0: Hey, wait! You don't think we came alone, do you? If we wanted to contact some government, some agency, we would have. We chose you. Oh, John
1: complete and utter bullshit spouting out of your mouth right now
0: <laughs> i know and it's it's so john though do you know what i mean because mm-hmm. i think i don't think john ever dreamed of meeting aliens i'll be honest because it's super clear that his science based interests were like space travel and going places and the technical stuff i don't know i actually
1: disagree with that i think he totally would have written gary Stu star trek fanfic as a kid about meeting aliens? Yeah, he totally would have. So many people who who get into space get into it because of Star Trek, you know that inspiration. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see him being a fan and wanting to figure out the space travel stuff, even though he does end up on the technical side of it.
0: Mm. I, I guess I could see that. I think for me though, John has never John has never indicated to us that like before he thought aliens were real enough that he would ever make contact. Mm. He always just was very focused on what he could do. And I don't think, I think as much as the first gate program intended to launch him as far into space as possible, which can we talk about how was he intending to get back? Like. Uh. It
1: wasn't supposed to go that far, I guess. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. There's uh, a lot of plot holes. And we can get to some other ones that happened in this episode in a minute. I don't want to re- derail you at the moment. Though. Yeah, but
0: so, um, <laughs> okay, so I think his intention was just to do space travel and do the engineering side of it. But at the same time, I think if an alien had come to John when he was on Earth and been like, hey, we chose you... He would have just fallen for it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, totally,
1: totally. He would have been completely enamored of whoever came and said that to him.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> he essentially spends a whole episode like telling her the things that he would have wanted to hear. You know, like they yeah. have a lot of conversations that are essentially him talking to somebody and him being able to pretend that meeting aliens have, could be this fantastic thing instead of... Right. Well, exactly. One of their first, this is one of the
1: quotes that I pulled for this episode. You know, one of the first conversations they have where they're not holding guns on each other is about, he. Has, he's very understanding of that this is paradigm changing for her who has been listening for this. Here, let me play it for you. Okay. Look, I understand what a phenomenal moment this is for you. Do you? Can you? I mean, to you, space travel is commonplace. But to us, here, I mean, in one flash...
0: You've learned that you're not alone in the universe. That interstellar space travel is possible, that a zillion of your empirical facts about science, religion are wrong, or completely suspect.
1: So here John is, like, he just came from this kind of society on Earth where, you know, first contact hasn't been made, not even in the cards for any time soon. And so he really does empathize with her and finds it really strange to be on this side of it where he's the alien creature. Mm -hmm. And that's really where their their connection comes through. And the chemistry between the two actors is just great in this whole episode.
0: Mm -hmm. And I definitely... I mean one of the great things about this episode also is that it isn't like he comes in manipulates her and then leaves and she never knows there's a there's a point where she does become completely aware because she confronts him. She's when she meets Dargo. Essentially, she has she has to say, "This is not a scientist. No one can pretend that Dargo is like a scientist." <laughs> and so she comes to him and she's like, "You said you were a scientist on a science vessel," and he has to be like, "Well, scientist, yes, prison vessel." So that she's like, "Out, you're gone, bye bye." Yeah, go away now. But even as she's saying that you know, she's so help. She's helpful. You know, she's like, here's the, Mm -hmm. here's what you need. Goodbye. And she basically sends the military
1: on a wild goose chase for him so that they have clearance to get back to Moya safely Yeah, and could leave safely. So they won't end up dissected, which is what she fears and what John knows. He knows that's what humans would do on earth to the aliens, aliens. So there's again,
0: that parallel about what each would do. Yeah. One of the interesting things is that they kind of do come full circle because they they meet and he gives her a lot of hope and then they have that conversation about paradigm changing and then she kind of becomes embittered the same way that he does because when he first met aliens there's that moment of hope and then immediately disillusionment and the same for her as soon as she meets an alien immediate disillusionment they're prisoners yeah and then it but it does kind of come around because by the end of the episode she's still grateful for him because this is mm-hmm. this is what she says at the end of the episode. Rymax and his men are off searching Akon's field. It's in the opposite direction of the swamp.
1: I wish there was more I could do.
0: You've altered the perceptions and beliefs of an entire planet. Yeah, I guess that's enough for one day. And I think that is also where John ends up. Because if he was still in the place where he was so bitter about him being attached to a prison transport then he wouldn't have stayed for dargo he would have left him for for lost right i think that's one
1: of the, one of the really cool things about this episode so this is the second episode of the first season it's it's very much there're a lot of firsts in this episode for the entire crew they don't really know each other there's a lot of of new relationships that are basically born in this episode and if we kind of go back to the beginning we could talk about some of those relationships because where you know john ends up is not leaving Dargo to be killed, he says, like, I won't leave without him. I guess I want to talk about some of the relationships we see amongst the crew
0: throughout this episode. Yeah, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of really rich development that happens that really connects episode one with episode three. Like, I think without IET, episode three would have just come out of left field. Yeah. Um, and, for example, one of them is, is Rigel, and Rigel's relationship with Moya and Pilot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Rigel is essentially the only one smallest enough to get to the beacon. And so he has to be the one that takes the beacon out, even though it's causing Moya incredible pain. And they know yes. it will cause Moya incredible yeah, pain. Yeah,
1: because we'll back up a little bit. The beacon is embedded in this access channel that's like... You know, it's a really tiny little port to get to it, like the size of someone's head. Like Dargo at one point says, I'll go fix it. (laughs) And then he can't get his shoulders through the hole (laughs) in the wall because he is too big. Um, Yes, Dargo, you are a lovely guy, but please don't have bright ideas like that again. But anyway, so it's also the beacon is attached to Moya's neural nexus, which is one of her major nerves that runs through her, her hull and her body, which is the ship. And so... That's where the peacekeepers put the beacon, and Rigel is the only one who can get to it. It has an automated protection system to shoot DRDs, which are the little robot things, and anything metal. They won't let it get in anywhere near. It has little sensors for that. So Rigel is the one who everyone turns to, and, and then he says, absolutely not. Because <laughs> he is obviously Rigel Dominar of over 600 billion s- subjects, and he is, it is beneath
0: him to do manual labor like this. Yeah, there's a there's a great quote that I didn't that I didn't clip, but it's it's where he he essentially turns them down the first time. And he goes, you put me in mud because I have no say, but in this I have a say. And I'm like, oh, God, I love whoever the voice actor for him is. And I want to give props to just the incredible puppetry, because Rigel is uh, you you literally can feel him in this episode. He sweats. He is, like, so tense that by the end he's
1: been sawing out all these things throughout the entire episode, getting these little, basically all these little wires that are stuck into the neural nexus. And he's sweating. And you're just like, oh,
0: poor Rigel. Mm -hmm. And actually, so so Rigel, I think on the surface, the rest of them think that Rigel is turning him down because it's beneath him, because he's a dominar, and because you know he... he's that arrogant little slug who really is that guy yeah he actually truly is <laughs> but then there's this really great moment where after he's turned them down Zan comes to him because they need to remove the beacon because otherwise... and they need
1: to do it soon because gravity leviathans aren't supposed to be on planets and the gravity is starting to make her fall apart
0: yeah and so Rigel and Zan have this really good conversation here I'm going to play it We can't wait till the others return. We have to start the separation procedure immediately.
1: And what about the great ship's pain? Among my sect, I am a ninth level Pa'ua. A priest of that level can harbor the power to share another being's pain.
0: If you are willing to begin the procedure, I'll do all that I can to alleviate Moya's discomfort. This is an awfully big ship. Don't I know it? Ugh, I love that. This is an awfully big ship. And they repeatedly, I think he and he and Zan are the only ones that keep calling Moya this great ship. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost this reverent way of talking about her, because I think the rest of them just see her as either a ship or a creature in herself. But I think Zan and and Ryds are kind of touching on this other... More poetic vision of who Moya is,
1: and it's it's really cool too because Moya does become a character, and when well, she is a character in her own right, and this is really the first time that you really get to see her have a relationship, the ship itself directly with the crew, it's other than Pilot. So far, Pilot has been our entire interface. There's another quote that I really like. It's like a little bit earlier than that, like right after they they land. And the beacon. Muffled. The mud's insulating the transmission. And how's Moya?
0: Very scared.
1: You know, okay for now, but very scared. And there's just this really emotional word associated with the ship. And that's not something we normally do, but it really speaks to that Moya is her own being. And. What I find interesting about that is, is it's it's is already reaching out to Moya and this is the beginning of what becomes a really rich relationship between the two of them. Mhm. Uh, it starts here with with Xan's compassion towards a beast of burden basically because mm-hmm. that's what Moya is and how, how how she's been treated throughout her life.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, that beast of burden thing kind of comes back because when they're looking for when they're looking for something to numb the pain, this tremendous pain that Moya is going to suffer, um, they ask Pilot, they're like, is there anything we can do that would help her? Is there anything we could do to make the pain less? And essentially, Pilot's like, no, this is this is a giant ship. You're not going to find anything. And then there's this pause, and he goes, oh yeah, one of the six forbidden cargoes. And you remember that Moya literally is a beast of burden, you know, to the mm-hmm. peacekeepers. That To Pilot, she and Pilot have this, like, rich relationship of, like, friendship and conversing and you know, they have a, a rich interior relationship, but he can speak and Moya can't. And so I think to the peacekeepers, that makes him alive and Moya a thing. And right. I don't know, it's just, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea because I think that to the crew, they haven't quite come to terms with Moya yet. I think that, I think, yeah. well, I think specifically, I think Aaron, John and Dargo really haven't. I just want to point out one of my
1: other favorite lines that's pure humor is as soon as, as pilot furnishes telling them that this is one of the six forbidden cargoes, Dargo is immediately immediately says, Is there any on board? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, Were you not paying attention?
0: <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, there's not any on board. There's nothing with Dargo. <laughs> oh man. Oh and yeah, I know that's so darko too. So is there Dargo. any on board? Uh, and Dargo then like, is, like, that oh kind of goes back later to like when he and he and Aaron are having this conversation, and his plan has essentially been to like draw the fire of the people and then hide in like a tree, <laughs> like literally uh, on top of where they are. If they looked up. Aaron and Dargo they would probably be dead. And, so- and then Aaron and Dargo have this whole argument about his strategy
1: that goes into, like, past battles and how the and suck. And, oh, it's just great. And then, and that's really, like, this whole tension. There's this really tension, real tension between Dargo and Aaron this whole episode so that, you know, it starts out because, well, going back again, I guess the beginning, because um, we seem to be doing this in, in circles, but... It's a peacekeeper beacon. Aaron's the peacekeeper, and immediately Dargo's like, "Why did you tell us about this?" Um, here, I'm gonna play a, that conversation for you because it has the best comeback ever.
0: And why didn't you tell
1: us about this? Well, not all Leviathan transports have them. I had no way of knowing. And oh, look, I'm new to all this escaped prisoner crap. All right? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that line of Aarons where she's like, "This is all new to me too." I'm like, "I just left the peacekeepers, and you expect me to know everything." Um, But this is real tension between them Because they are still very much enemies She Mm -hmm. still represents everybody that imprisoned him And he still represents the scum of the universe That she was saving, you know, civilization from From themselves Yeah But the one place where they can come to agreement Is that all tech stuff is stupid And John is really stupid (laughs) Oh my gosh, I gotta play that clip I'm gonna play that
0: clip Because it's just, ah, it's my favorite This particle analyzer is defective Peacekeeper technology. You use it. Taxi uses not not infantry. Yeah. Pilot said you press this, this, and this. Oh, it's just like a VCR, except easier.
1: <laughs> and so good. As anyone who ever grew up with a VCR knows, VCRs are like. Every single person I know had a different setup with their TV and their cable box and their VCR. <laughs> and then there was like when you had two VCRs so you could record off TV. So it was like if you're born after the VCRs disappeared, I'm sorry, you never got to go through this. But the fact that he could like follow instructions, he immediately has affinity for the tech. And they're just like, you are the lowest of the low <laughs> for being able to do this. It is completely
0: beneath them. Yeah. I've, and I think that that's kind of, so much of Dargo and Aaron's relationship in this episode is like hatred for each other, disdain for John. And it's like, they're literally on parallel emotional streams. But since one of those streams is absolute hatred for each other, they're just not going to be friends for a while. (laughs) And I do have to point out that that thing with John and tech, it kind of does circle back to like our conversation about masculinity in the last episode where on the one hand, you know, here's John and Aaron and John is the one that can make the tech work. John is the one that has to go forage and get what they need. And Aaron is the one that has to do the more, you know, more stereotypically masculine thing of drawing off fire and, you know, making military strategies to make sure they don't get caught. And there's this interesting moment later in the episode where John has found what they need and he's trying to call Aaron and Dargo. And essentially, he's like, hey guys, I would feel a lot better if we could get back together. And it's so. Don't leave me alone. I know, don't. Could we get, could we get back together and be my unit again? Because I'm. And it's like, he doesn't actually say he's afraid because I don't know that it's necessarily that explicit fear. But I do think it's so...
1: Well, it's like that horror movie tension of something bad is just around the corner and he knows it because he's hiding in a barn mm-hmm. of people he doesn't know. And, you know, we even get that ominous seeing the steps, somebody walk down the steps to, to go find him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's definitely in over his head when he's left on his own because they just leave him, you know, they're all flat on the ground and they just like, we're going to go be a distraction. Here, you take this. Go find Chlorium. And he's left on his own. Mm -hmm. And
0: he's not prepared for that at all. Yeah. It is just an interesting moment for him as a character. And also because it does set up the way that Aaron and Dargo do feel about him for a while. Which is that they, Mm -hmm. they see him as a tech. They see him as somebody that's not a warrior. And they don't necessarily respect that.
1: No. Well, as we learn later in Aaron's culture, the techs are definitely not the social same social classes the fighters yeah and the soldiers they are they are a level below and you know so much of dargo's self-image is not being the warrior and the strong the strong commander i guess because he's very much in these early episodes even premier in this one kind of taking charge you know mm-hmm. the one trying to trying to take charge even though no one listens to him but there's definitely that element of i'm going to be the one doing this because I'm the warrior. I'm in charge. But there's there's definitely vibe to it. It's just also undermined by his like goofiness because he doesn't exactly think things through. ever. Yeah,
0: Dargo. Yeah, I Dargo. think. That, and I think that one of the interesting things about Dargo is that he is trying to be captain, and maybe in a different show he would have. But because they're so disparate, it actually kind of circles back because early in the episode after they found the beacon, Aaron really has this moment of reflection and this crisis of faith. And this is another reason why I'm not sure why Netflix places this in episode number seven, because it's actually a direct, it's her confronting what her decision actually meant in episode one. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just gonna play it right now. Is there a problem? Oh, I find and explain our top secret tracking device to a bunch of escaped prisoners and then lead a mission to destroy it. Well, number one, you're not leading the mission number two those peacekeepers you're so concerned about they'd kill you right now is the peacekeepers turned just tried-
1: on me for speaking up for you i don't know what i was thinking well back home we call it being stand up well i stood up and i no longer have a home we'll join the club
0: and so there's a lot going on in that quote i think because it's it's her kind of going back to her breeding and really wishing she could do something else. But then at the same time, her realizing she can't because she can't go back home because they will kill her. And John says that, but she already knows that that's why she's pissed. There's that moment where she's like, well, I'm leading the mission. And John goes like, well, you're not leading the mission. Because I think in the, on this ship, with the exception of maybe Zan and Pilot, who's used to being bossed around and Zan, who's passive but takes a, yeah like well, she
1: takes a completely different approach to problem solving yeah. i mean
0: just look at her how she gets
1: she convinces mm-hmm. ride tangent she convinces rigel to help out by basically saying you know playing to his ego mm-hmm. like she asks permission before she comes into his room
0: to recruit him but back to what you were saying yeah but this is essentially a ship full of leaders You know, like, John clearly was the lead scientist on his project, and he's used to being an astronaut. He's used to being in charge. Erin is also used to being in charge. She was going to be a marauder, which we're led to believe is kind of like the highest level. commandoism. Yeah, like, and then you have Dargo, who was a commander, if not a commander, at least he was on command track in his military organization. You have Rigel, which is pretty self-explanatory. The man literally was the king of six billion people. 600, 600 billion. billion
1: people. Don't <laughs> forget the 100 cuz he will never let you forget that. He will never <laughs> let you forget that.
0: But so it's this it's essentially like a ship full of alpha, but not a, not necessarily alpha, but a ship but full But strong of, personalities. Yeah. Have, and you know. so I think that that's one of the reasons why Dargo trying to take charge never really takes off. Do you know what I mean? Because no. there's just too <laughs> many leaders. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't like each other all that much. No, no, and so we have we've got we've had a few relationships develop over this episode. We've had Zan and Moya, and we've had Pilot and Moya, and then we also have had Dargo and Aaron, who are not getting along, <laughs> but in a in a kind of compatriot way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: I mean they end up you know what they come together in or the how they come together is in their basically mocking of John about, you know, <laughs> he says this planet reminds him of home. And then they're like, this place is a dump. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of barbarian is he? And that's, that's kind of how they bond. And, you know, and then they split up again and go to dif- different things. There's also an interesting moment between Aaron and Zan mm-hmm. um, after she returns to Moya later on. So... Zan and Rigel have already begun taking out the beacon. Zan has been taking on as much of Moya's pain as she can, which is not a whole lot because, as we've learned, Moya's a big ship, and Rigel has been working away getting all these leads that are stuck into her nerve system, nervous system out. And, and at one point, Aaron says, but how are you doing, Zan? And Zan just gives her this look. It's like, wait, are you concerned about me? You're just kind of like catching her out because... Yeah, it sounds like from the whole scene and the setup, yeah, Aaron is concerned about Zan, but she immediately plays it off as, I'm concerned about the ship and your ability to make sure the ship is fine. <laughs> and But there's this this moment that kind of peels back that curtain. And again, talking about Aaron taking on the more typical masculine roles in this classic male deflection as you would see from an action hero who, who doesn't want anyone to know know that he has a soft underbelly. Mm -hmm. And then later on, she is actually helping Zan stay with Moya and keep on taking her pain and even sits with her when she's collapsed after a while, Mm -hmm. just from, from everything.
0: Yeah. And there's this, there's this body positioning that Farscape does that. I don't know that a lot of other TV shows do because Farscape in a lot of episodes of Farscape, they're getting thrown around on the ship or they're dodging, bullets or whatever but John and Aaron have this like so typical thing where they'll like literally like throw the other person up against the wall and like have their body (laughs) over them and it's like so typically them and I was pointing out that this is like the first time that they've had that body motion because when the ship is landing and they're like crashing back and forth between a bulkhead and I'm like oh my gosh just take a seat and put on a seatbelt already yeah but then also it kind of is mimicked because when when Aaron is literally holding Zan up against the bulkhead, she's almost doing that same body motion of, like, cradling another person up against a wall. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting visual, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have Zan and, Zan and Aaron have that moment. We have... Zan and, and Rigel, and I think Zan is truly the only person on the ship that understands Rigel yet, because even later they have this moment when no, still nobody else is on the ship. It's just Zan and Rigel, and Rigel has been pulling out the, the beacon from the nerfs, from the nerve. but Moya is in such intense pain that Moya has literally blacked out for a period of time, as well as everybody else. Yeah, all the lights go. Yeah, all the lights go, pilot has gone, and Zan is also gone. And then when they all come to... And by gone,
1: we mean passed out.
0: Yeah, passed out. (laughs) I don't know where a (laughs) ship would go. But so, (laughs) um, when they come to, Pilot essentially says, listen, Moya is succumbing to her own weight. The gravity is going to kill her. There's this interesting moment that Zan and Rigel have. As though you'll get the chance before we're all crushed. I kill the ship myself.
1: You're afraid. You're afraid this great ship will die.
0: I don't know what I'm doing. I've always had others to do for me. Even in prison, I... I don't even know how to hold a tool. And so there's that moment, because I think that... Zan, while having like an over, she has more empathy than anybody else on the show. But there's also that connection kind of between her and Rigel, where she's really the only one that sees him for who he is. She's really the only one that kind of sees past the dominar persona that he wears all the time and sees kind of the, the gooey underbelly underneath. The underbelly that doesn't want to hurt Moya, that doesn't want to kill Moya, and that is afraid that his own inexperience in doing anything... Will lead to Moya being dead. Yeah, one of my favorite, the last
1: scene between Zan and Rigel is actually one of my favorite moments of the entire episode. It's when it's done, the beacon has been detached, Rigel has succeeded. Moya is still alive. They're about to take off. And Zan is like lying on the floor right next to the access hatch. And her head is right next to it. And then Rigel comes out and puts his head next to hers. And they just have this moment together of we are never doing this again because it was awful. (laughs) But there's also this bonding moment of like empathy is like we got through this together. We did this horrendous hard thing that was really painful for both of us on a couple levels. And we did it together. And we saved
0: Moya. And there's this this beautiful moment between them that I really love. Mm-hmm. And I think that their friendship is kind of one of the more interesting developments of the show. Just because of who they both start as and who they both end up as. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because I definitely feel for Rigel in this whole episode. Because not only is he not used to doing anything like this. He's also basically being asked to perform major surgery mm-hmm. <laughs> with a wooden
0: knife. And A bone knife. No guidance. A Which bone we do knife. not okay, want right? to
1: what they have used it for.
0: <laughs> Isn't it bone? It's bone,
1: right? I think it's bone, you're right. You're right. But basically he's he's got been asked to do major surgery with this bone knife that young Luxens apparently use on themselves at that, at certain, that certain age. age. <laughs> and he doesn't know what he's doing essentially, then can cause great pain and stuff, so yeah, the two of them are really, are really great together in that.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we also have, and we already, we already used that quote earlier, but just, I don't know, John and Aaron this episode, it's so interesting because on the one hand, clearly they're the, the OTP of the TV, of the show, like the show, the show ships these two like so hard. already. Yeah, but they're angry at each other in this episode or not angry, but I think Aaron is angry at what John coaxed her into doing what john essentially what she feels like john did to her
1: yeah she spoke up for him and thus it is his fault that she has been kicked out of a job she loved a life she loved and is running around with escape prisoners who she doesn't respect and they don't respect her and see her as the villain she has lost everything and she's still coping with that loss and john is the one she lashes out to Mm -hmm. they actually don't interact all that much throughout this episode it's like the beginning when they're kind of these group discussions Mm -hmm. and then that one scene between them and then they've split off pretty early on in when they're on the planet and it's not till the very very end when they meet up as a group again that they they come back together
0: Mm mm-hmm Oh, man. And that end scene is so great. There's water pouring out of the walls and more poor Moya is is literally under immense strain and immense torture. And there's just so much chaos going on. And then, you know, John comes in to save the day, although one could argue that, John, you do not have time to sit around and say goodbye to the scientist, like go back to your ship already. (laughs) Well,
1: I think it's less that he saves the day, because you could argue that Zan and Rigel already saved the day. Mm -hmm. And he's just there with the the anesthetic afterwards to make it easy, or easier on
0: Moya. Mm -hmm. So John and Aaron have an interesting kind of conversation in this episode, just because of eventually where it ends up going. Yeah. This is the bridge between episode one, where they were kind of on the same page, and then episode... Three an episode, you know the other episodes. This is the episode where Aaron yeah. is essentially having having the crash, you know, <laughs> the crash after yeah, the, the crash hide. after her
1: after losing everything. Yeah, I was going to mention one more time John and Dargo because that's kind of how we got on this tangent of all the relationships that we start to see grow on the show. Yeah. Um, so at the end, Dargo is captured by the military of the planet who want to basically dissect him because ooh, cool aliens, let's see what they're made of. <laughs> and he's still free. The the woman, I think her name is, what does say, Lanaya? Lanaya, yeah. <laughs> or Jodie Foster analog. And John turns to her. And even though he and Dargo haven't really known each other very long, but he's like, I'm not leaving without him. Mm-hmm. And he repeats, I'm not leaving without him when she tells him that there's no hope. And it's just really, really interesting that already his loyalty is already to this crew, whether he wants it to be or not. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is his natural compassion. Like, he doesn't want Dargo to die, even if he doesn't like him. It's like, John at this point, is not a person who would wish dissection on his worst enemy. And I think also, because he's in this foreign place, he's just holding on as tightly as, as he can to all the people he knows, because, you know, you bond really quickly in these sorts of situations. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's already imprinting on the crew, and really starting that process of this crew becoming home and becoming family, which is basically one of the major themes that goes through this entire series. And that's mm-hmm. my cat meowing, if you hear him. <laughs> so apologies for the, for Sam over here. He wants attention. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we
0: own crate cats, though, I'll be honest. That's why we
1: own cats. Yes. The other one has been sitting. You can't see him, but he's been sitting like right next to me, staring at me this entire time. <laughs>
0: I definitely think that John and Dargo's relationship in this episode is really interesting because it is the no man left behind and because we talked about earlier how John really isn't the action hero and yet when he comes to rescue Dargo he literally comes in and swings a shovel at two people and, like, knocks them out. Yeah. And there's that great moment where Dargo doesn't even say anything to him. He's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's about time you got here. Yeah, and so the, it's interesting to see them forging something together. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to talk about, though, is this is the first time that we've really seen how much Pilot and Moya are their relationship together. Because in episode mm-hmm. one... His name is Pilot, so technically he could have just been the Pilot. Yeah. But this is the episode where we find out that he and Moya are kind of interconnected and that he and Moya talk even though Moya can't talk. And there's a great scene early on with Zan and Pilot where Zan essentially asks him, why, why didn't you know about the beacon? Like, why didn't you know before now about the beacon?
1: Glenn. The peacekeepers capture a Leviathan. They immediately administer a sleep agent. Very potent. The
0: weak, the old, do not survive. Which I suppose is part of its purpose. While the Leviathan sleeps, the control caller is set in place. Modifications are made in propulsion and guidance.
1: I thought I had discovered all I had done to Moya.
0: Obviously, I had not. There's this level of guilt in that conversation that I just find, I find really crunchy, I'll put it that mm-hmm. way, because Pilot essentially blames himself for things that the peacekeepers have done to Moya. We kind of find out more why later on in the series, but even here in this moment, there's a level of guilt there and there's a level of culpability that... I I don't think really belongs to Pilate. Like what the peacekeepers did to Moya, which essentially was violation on the highest order. Yeah. It's not his fault.
1: Yeah. But he's also in a way Moya's caretaker. You know, he is the one who can speak for her. He is the one who manages her systems so that he's part of her autonomous, you know, nervous system to a certain extent where he, he manages the systems, makes her habitable for the, for the people who live on her, helps her find, you know, where to go and, you know, all that navigation and all those sorts of things. And so he's, so he is her caretaker in, in a way. And, and that's, I think where that guilt stems from. Like he's trying to protect her from the peacekeepers. He helped with the escape because he wanted to get her away from the peacekeepers. Uh, uh, Pilot is very much in a serving role
0: with the crew, but he's also in a serving role with Moya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. All right. So I think we have covered, most if not all of the nice crunchy granola that there is to get out of this episode i do want to put out the major major flaw of the episode
1: yes and there's there's the second episode and they've already broken their continuity of the aliens can understand them (laughs) didn't we have this whole thing with translator microbes so that they could understand each other And here's a whole planet of people that understands them just fine. I just want to put that out, that Farscape, you really need to pay better attention sometimes. I know, I know.
0: Yeah, there's no workaround for that. It's such an obvious (laughs) flaw. I think that maybe the one thing that could have, it could have been that maybe their language is a cousin language of, no, because even then they wouldn't have understood. No, because they understood Dargo, too, and pilot.
1: Yeah. Because he's on the screen for a little minute. Yeah, they just
0: fucked Uh, up. Oh, (laughs) well. Farscape. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, Well, on that note, we kind of have, yeah, because we we have talked in the past about how Farscape science is not. Don't come (laughs) to Farscape if you want, like, Bill Nye science lessons. Come to Farscape if you want epic operatic storytelling. Yeah. All right, so I think we've discussed all, including the major <laughs> the major plot hole in the episode. I like this episode. It's not it's not in my top five episodes. I'd probably give it like a, I'd probably give it like a 3.5, maybe a 4. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere. I'd probably give it a 4 just because of the Rigel development alone.
1: Yeah, I I would probably give it a 3, 3. 3.5 just because there's so many other awesome episodes. But the one thing I love about this episode is the beginnings of the banter you get amongst the crew and those developing relationships.
0: That's Mm -hmm. really
1: what the strength of this episode is for me, is all those relationships.
0: Yeah. So next week we're back with Exodus from Genesis which has the scariest bugs I have ever seen that still give me nightmares. So go ahead and watch that if you want. <laughs> if you want no- like nightmares about puppetry. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we come to Farscape for. Welcome to Farscape. All right, have a good week, everybody.